From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Oh, it's very good to be back with you. And we have a passage of scripture that I have been thinking about for quite a while and I'm excited to talk with you about. I think that it'll have a lot of implications for all of our listeners. But first, I need to introduce all of the folks that are in this room with me. I'm Scott Armstrong and to my left, Natalie Franco. Hi, guys. Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> She's laughing. I, I, sometimes I'm uh, cause lots of laughter. It's your wrestling why. announcer voice. Yeah. Well, thank. You. <laughs> um, and to her left, AJ Fry. Hey guys. To his left, Emily Armstrong. Everyone. And to my right, Chelsea Fry. Fun facts with Chelsea. Fun fact: the fear of the number thirteen is called. You need to read this. I can't remember exactly how to say it, but yes. Triskaidekaphobia. There you go. That's it, people. <laughs> AKA the fear of Triscuits. <laughs> because it's Triscuits Scott. only come in packages of 13. Scott actually just showed you that even when you don't know how to pronounce a word, that's a very biblical thing. We get to words we don't know how to pronounce. Just go in with confidence. People oh, are not yep. going to doubt you if you go in with confidence. That is There's a, so many biblical words I don't know. It's an old <laughs> pastor's trick. And I don't understand why more people don't do that. Just, hey, just keep plowing through. And people think, how did he learn that? It must have been in seminary. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of different weird passages, no, this isn't a weird passage. This is an amazing passage. We are going to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. Now, I think we, we had a long discussion right before we turned all the mics on and everything. And I think let's read, Chelsea, if you could help us and read 11 through 15. We'll spend a little bit of time on that. And then I think the next portion, especially, is is kind of what grabs a lot of our attention. So let's Let's start with uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 15. I'm reading from the NIV. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Oh, man, there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, we're talking about being crazy for, for Christ or, or for God. Uh, Christ's love compelling us, even what we take pride in or about persuading. I mean, persuasion is, is something that's important in ministry or in missions. So where do we even want to start with this? I think the first thing that one of the first things that jumps out to me and I have it highlighted in my Bible, um, is verses 14 and 15, but specifically verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. There's just so much in like this verse alone. So much theology. <laughs> yes. But I like this, I like this phrasing, Christ's love compels us. First of all, 
that the love of Christ compels us. This word compels is just so deep and so rich, I feel like. I think this is obvious, and I'm almost not ashamed, but like, why do I even have to say this? But Christ's love should compel us to do everything we do. Like, his love is the reason we even are Christians, right? Like, his love is the basis for everything we do. We want to share his love. He loved us so much that he died for us. He died for everyone. And we want to share that love with everyone. So like that, that alone, his love should be our motivation for everything we do. But then like, then going on, he died for all that, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That is not a light passage either, because everywhere we look in the world today, people are living for themselves. Hmm. I mean, everything we read in, in secular literature or on social media, it's like, do this to better yourself. This will help you be a better person. Do this for yourself. You know, it's all about you. But when, when we decide to live for Christ— we decide to die with Christ. Mm. Paul talks about this in several of his other letters. When Christ was sacrificed, we were sacrificed with him. So it's no longer us who lives, but Christ that lives within us, right? We don't live for ourselves anymore, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but we live for Christ. And because Christ loves others, we love others and we live for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When even thinking of what's compelling, like if I were to ask each of you, like what is the most compelling thing in your lives right now, outside of spiritual terms, like maybe somebody would say that movie was compelling. Um, this certain restaurant is compelling or this book has really grabbed my attention or something like that, you know? And it's like, compelling is this attractive nature. It's just this, it pulls me in and I I love that, that (laughs) Christ's love compels us. It's just this attractive thing, but then that we're thrust out so that we become this compelling, whoa, Emily, uh, there's something different about her. Not the, the, wow, you're like, just being around you makes me want to be around you more, you know? And that's Jesus's love flowing through us. Yeah. I love so many things about this passage, but I think there's so much of like the way that Paul writes and talks in this passage too. I think when we read this, I think there's a lot of people that could like skip right over everything because it's hard to understand. Like if you don't slow down and think about every single thing that he's saying, literally like, like AJ said, if you look at it in your Bible, you'll see tons of punctuation in here. (laughs) And Paul is notorious for like run on sentences and (laughs) the way that he thinks is, is amazing. And you can see it right here. This is very Pauline like literature. And I think one of the things that uh, I like about it and it makes me smile, but at the same time, it, it challenges me as a missionary is verse 12 says, we are not commending ourselves. Oh, I'm reading a new revised standard version is the version that I'm in. And it says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, you an opportunity to boast about us. 
so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. <laughs> He's like, we're not going to talk about all these good things that we do, even though we're doing really good things. We are just going to give you an opportunity to talk about all the good things that we're doing, right? Like I'm doing you a favor. Exactly. I'm giving you this The way that I'm living is such a gift to you, Natalie, so that you can be like, hey, look at what Emily's doing over there. But I think there's like... Paul also writes, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Like there is something that is like so confident in Paul in the way that he understands Jesus, in the way he preaches the gospel, in the way that he is confident that Christ died, he resurrected, and he has this same plan for us, right? Like he is so confident in that, that he's not afraid to use the rhetoric of the day, Mm -hmm. you know, to say, we're doing the right things here. And like, it's okay that you would say, hey, you're doing some good things. And and I think even this whole concept of worthless servants, you know, to me, I'm the first one to say, I love the name of this podcast because missionaries are elevated so often of like, you guys are the most holy people. You guys probably have the best relationship with God. And it's like, we need to be reminded of this humble nature that we're called to of servant-like nature. And, um, but, but Paul is very much here saying, you know, we want you to be able to answer people that are asking about us because they only see the outside of us. Like we can talk about the deep inner change of what's happening is basically what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. We, as the church, can talk about the deep inner transformation. But there's also things on the outside of our lives that are speaking about Jesus Christ. And um, I think as missionaries, we really have to keep that in mind when we talk about contextualization. Uh, There are things that are okay in the United States. To be a Christian in the United States looks X, Y, and Z. But to be a Christian in the Dominican Republic looks X, Y, and Z. And it might be different different X, Y's, and Z's, right? So we have to be able to, even as missionaries, say there are things that that we're able to contextualize, and the church is proud of us, and we're able to go into that representing Jesus Christ, but you also are going to be able to see some of those things on the outside. It's not just an inner transformation. It's something that is showing on the outside as well. I particularly like the verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. I feel like it partners with what you just said. Like so often people are like, you are so crazy for doing that. Or they think that my life choice of leaving my country and going somewhere else is this like act of craziness. Or especially for people that do not believe in the same Holy Spirit that I believe in. Um, And so like it's just because that's God. That's God has moved in me and that's why I'm doing this. And if I make sense to you, this isn't totally in context, but it makes sense. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And I like to think of that as like, if the Holy Spirit has made this seem like it's normal, then then that's for your benefit. Like that's the Holy Spirit working in your life as mm. well. I had never thought of it that right. way. That's interesting. Yeah. And let's kind of move into this famous passage, 16 through 21. AJ, I don't know if you could read that for us, uh, because here's where we get, I mean, lots more sermons have probably been been <laughs> preached on this passage, and, and rightly so, perhaps. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from an outwardly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ this way, we no longer do so. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself 
through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The hinge verse, verse 16, says, Therefore or so, we now no longer regard anyone from a worldly or outwardly point of view. Uh, haven't heard much from you, Natalie, uh, obviously talking about new creation and Christ making a difference. And uh, what do you see in this passage? Well, actually, what I've seen is exactly that. And I've been thinking as a new creation, um, and, and it says God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So new creation, what I'm thinking, something new, someone new in Christ, um, you know, they cannot be as they used to be. So mm -hmm. if they used to lie or if they used to do something to talk bad of someone, they cannot do it anymore because mm -hmm. they are new in Christ. Mm -hmm. So I cannot stop thinking about that. And also it connects with the ministry of reconciliation because, because people who want to reconcile, they are peacemakers. So uh, they have to make sure, mm. like we as Christian, we as new creation, we have to make sure to what we speak, what we say, um, it has to be a blessed. It cannot destroy others. or And we have to invest in building relationship, establish relationship, care about the family, and uh, care about the friends as well. That, that makes me think about when we change, when we are really new people in Christ, and we need to be intentional about being different and being new. That's really good, Natalie, what you were saying, because even the reconciling, that the, the word really starts to have the implication of, okay, there are two, let, let's say there are two people that just don't want to know each other at all anymore. They're tired. They've had conflicts. They're just like, forget about that person. The peacemaker, like you said, comes in and says, no, let's make this work. I believe there can be a friendship here again, you know? And it makes me think about those times where uh, maybe someone thinks religion has burned me. I, I, Christians have just burned me. I'm tired of this. I don't want to know any more about the Bible, God, anything. And we, through our actions and through our words, can come in and be agents of reconciliation. We can be those people that help to say, ah, you think you hate each other, but that's not the case. First of all, Christ loves you and his love compels us to tell you that. But also I want you to know, oh no, this relationship can work and it's actually the best thing you'll ever experience. So I love that you matched that reconciliation with peacemaking. I think also like... Um, when I first learned about reconciliation, it was this turning a, like a 180 and walking away from the thing that you were in. So like Natalie was mentioning, when a new believer comes in and they have been a liar or a cheater or a, a thief, like you do a 180 and you turn and walk in the opposite direction. And so I think this passage has massive implications for our ministry on a local church level of like, do we really believe in the ministry of reconciliation because if we do it means 
that we don't hold people's pasts against them. Mm. And so it means that we, as we are compelling others to respond in Christ's love, we are also giving them the chance to do so. And I think that sounds so simple when we're talking about it in this room, but I've seen examples of that not being the case of we talk about like, oh, well, he cheated on his wife. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the Lord has redeemed him. Like maybe the the ministry of reconciliation has happened and we need to allow for that old self to fall away. That 180 change has happened. This is just a good reminder for me of the things that I hold against people. And it's not even necessarily like a grudge. Like it's not, it's not an anger thing. It's, it's more of just like, oh, that person has failed me before in an administrative task. Oh, that person has missed a deadline on something before. Why can't reconciliation work for that? And why can't I be an advocate for that of giving them the opportunity to completely change? I think that view of seeing the opportunity for reconciliation uh, ties really well into the rest of this passage. In verse 16, he says, So from now on, regard we regard no one from a worldly point of view. <laughs> I like this next part. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> like, But it, th- that ties into then li- this like if we are out of our mind, if we seem crazy to you, it's because we view things differently. Once you, once you experience Christ in a deep way, your vision changes. Mm-hmm. Not only in be able to see opportunities for reconciliation, but we don't view anyone the same way that the world views them. Mm-hmm. We don't see any more uh, occupation or finance levels or race or language or culture. We don't see any of that in any of that anymore. Although that that diversity is one of my favorite parts of humanity because we are so diverse, but like it doesn't matter anymore. We see the kingdom and everything is flipped upside down when we can see the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, over and over again, you see Jesus walking around and what he teaches his disciples, what he teaches the, anyone who's listening is like this complete upside down kingdom, right? This complete different view of the world. And it's so countercultural, not only to his culture then, but to our culture now, even to our church culture sometimes. It's, it's like so different. I love that. Because I, I want that. Like, I want to see the kingdom more every day. And when there's so much that's bombarding us and telling us what is correct, when we actually see what's correct, we're just like, our eyes are open. And we're like, what? How can you think this is correct? You know, how, how is this okay? And how could you not want reconciliation when you see the kingdom for what it is? How could you not want reconciliation yeah and i think paul is so good at like he's so good at like context and saying it and saying it again and when i see those passages and then he goes into 18 and 19 18 and 19 are literal he just says the same thing twice right (laughs) and one of the things they teach you when you're studying the bible is if something is stated two three four times it's probably pretty important like pay attention to it and um He uses those verses to say that God reconciled us to himself 
through Jesus Christ. So he's like laying the groundwork, right? Like this is what God has done. This is fact. I'm giving you fact. God reconciled. We literally should be dead in our sins. We literally should be the ones that have zero relationship with the God of the universe. But he loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ and he reconciled the relationship, right? So he, we are living in correct relationship with God. And then he says it again. He's like, in case you didn't catch it, Natalie, I'm going to say it again, right? He says, <laughs> that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And every time, most of the time, I'm not going to say every time, but most of the time when the world, the the word, the world to himself, it usually means the cosmos. And so like we think about Universe. creation, yeah. we think about every single thing that is the cosmos. God reconciled to himself. He he put in right relationship with himself by Jesus coming and dying on the cross. Jesus raises from the dead. Praise the Lord. He raises from the dead. And what does he do? He says in the end of verse 19, and he entrusts the message of reconciliation to us. Mm. Right? Like he didn't say, so in the history, buried in the history books, we're going to leave this with what Jesus did. He said, no, no, no. This is a living message. This is something that goes on. And God is so committed to reconciliation that 2000 years later, we have this thing called the church and he entrusted us with this message. And if we are not sharing this message, we are not doing the job. Mm. We, we need to check ourselves so much and leading into that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And I love since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's like, it's like Paul is just begging, right? Yeah. He's like, because like God, Corinthian <laughs> church, like you say you love Jesus. You say you're following him. You say you believe in this gospel message and he's given you this, this gospel of reconciliation and you're not living it. It, it, it's not doing it in your life. And people are looking at your outside life and there is something that is wrong here. There's not a new creation. You've been made a new creation. Live it. He's entrusted us. We are ambassadors. Live into this mission that he's given us so that when people come to you and say, who is this God? Because that's literally the way that God has worked this whole entire thing. You can't see me as God. Jesus is gone. He's not on earth anymore. He left a Holy Spirit, which is not visible, but he left a church, which is highly visible, highly tangible. We wear flesh. We have hands. We have feet. And he says, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. <laughs> right? And I think that is so, the, the, like, the, the punch. Paul is so good at, like, talking, 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 and then he leaves you with this just, like, oh, pit in the bottom of my stomach. And um, I could preach about this for a thousand times and I didn't even touch on 21 and I won't, but, um, man, so much good stuff that we are ambassadors. It's, it's not, uh, it's not something that we can say yes or no to. It's something that we just are obedient. Mm -hmm. And we say, this is the message he's given us. We're ambassadors for this message. We're also a podcast about missions and it, we would be remiss to not touch on that word. I mean, all of us have spent time in embassies. We know what an ambassador is. And I think this ties in with our first passage, uh, even verse 11, we know what it is to fear the Lord. So we naturally try to persuade men. An ambassador is representing, lives in, in a country, not their own, but represents that country. 
represents that president or premier or king or whatever. And uh, that is our story, yeah. not just as missionaries, mm -hmm. but as Christians. Yeah. We are in a country not our own. I'm not, folks, I am not talking about DR or the United States, or I'm talking about living in this world. We are not of this world. Our citizenship, as Paul says in Philippians, is, is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so for us, we must then, of course, we're going to persuade. I studied communications as my, as my undergrad, right? And we literally had an entire course called persuasion. We'd studied, you know, thought on persuasion back from Plato and Aristotle and all through the nowadays. And, but then how do you persuade? I think as Christians in, in a world that's really uncomfortable, Hey, I'm just going to let everyone be what they, you know, what they say they want to be. And come on, don't really try to persuade another person. I mean, you trying to make a convert or something, you trying to really uh, convert them from their faith to yours. That doesn't sound really good in this day and age, mm -hmm. but as Christians, we must say through love, not just through eloquence, uh, not just uh, certainly not through political power or other things like that, but through love, the love of Christ that compels us. Of course, I'm going to try to persuade you. I've experienced nothing better. And plus, I'm his ambassador. Like, if I don't do that, I'm the worst ambassador in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has said, you are my ambassador to this world. So I'm counting on you. And so I'm going to represent him wherever I am. And, and I feel fine about trying to persuade you through love, <laughs> through humility, through serving you, but also boldly as well. Yeah, and I think we've said on this podcast before that that is a unique hallmark of Christianity. There's so many other world religions that like that persuasion. It's just an individual. If you're going to go seek Buddha and self-actualization and there's not a lot of like missionary work in a lot of other religions. There are some. I'm not saying Christianity and it's not the only one. However, it is a, a hallmark of Christianity that we want to. And what Paul would say is I'm compelled to do it. Like it's not a choice. I just literally can't do it any other way. <laughs> I literally see you as somebody that needs to know this gospel, and I'm going to share the gospel with you. How great would it be if we all lived in that same testimony in this day and age? Well, I think that's awesome. This is good. Oh, man, I think, Emily, you and I got to preach in the lair. Up here. <laughs> but, uh, but you can tell we were passionate about this, this. You may be compelled by Christ. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You can tell we were passionate about this. So, yeah, I, man, I just feel like we could continue talking about this. About Time is about up. But I think that last verse, we just need to say it. Um, this, was, for a long time, was one of my favorite verses. Still is, really. But... God made him look at the upside down. I like how you said that earlier, AJ, upside down kingdom, upside down world, you know, that Christ has changed our glasses. We now have a different vision. God made him who had no sin to be, not to just take on the sin, to be sin mm -hmm. for us so that in him, not just by him, but in him, I love this. I mean, these <laughs> prepositions are so important in him. We might become the righteousness of God, not just we, he might impart to us his righteousness and, you know, he will cancel our sin, but we can't really be what he is. God, literally God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we could become 
the righteousness of God. Ooh, church, chew on that one because that should mess with your theology a little yeah, bit. For <laughs> real. <laughs> yeah. that, that is holiness right there. That is awesome. Very Wesleyan. Yes, it is. So, oh man, can you tell we're compelled? Uh, we are just loving this ministry of reconciliation. We love being ambassadors. So, Emily, if they'd like to talk with us and, and share what they think of this passage, we'd love to hear from them. Where can they do that? Leave us a comment on the Facebook page, The Worthless Servants Podcast, and we're also online at www.mesoamericagenesis.org. You can also find a ton of these episodes on Spotify. If you're a Spotify listener, you can find The Worthless Servants Podcast and give us a follow there. Excellent. Well, we are The Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Natalie Franco. I'm AJ Fry. I'm Emily Armstrong. And I'm Chelsea Fry. And we will talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.